G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of Aussie Tech Eds, the 2nd of November 2017, not long before the start of the cricket season, can't wait. It is episode 557, thanks for joining us. I'm here, Glenn Goodman, this week with a, another, another not a surprising face, but uh, Jason Warlock-Oakley, we'll get to him in a second. But uh, look, first of all, <coughs> you, we, me and Jason have been doing the show for quite some time and we've got uh, oh, Eric, happy birthday Eric by the way, uh, but Eric, you know, he's full of studies and Will's full of um, you know, getting kids ready for bed and all that sort of stuff. So just right at the top of the show, I just thought, listen, if anyone wants to come on and have a bit of a chat uh, any week or whatever, you know, uh, give me an email, glenn at aussietechheads.com.au, and let's see if we can get some uh, different voices on, eh? That'd be good. That'd be good. So if you're interested, uh, look, you don't have to do much. You just uh, you can just sit down and I'll ask you questions if you like, you know, and you can just offer your offer your opinion about whatever. But uh, come on in. If you've got the inkling to be a part of the show or be a part of a podcast, give me an email, glenn at aussietechheads.com.au or send me a direct message on Facebook uh, on the... No, you can't because you've got... Actually, you can on the Aussie Tech Heads Facebook page. <laughs> I think you can send direct messages. Um, I don't know. Email, that's the easy one. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash Aussie Tech Heads and YouTube.com forward slash Aussie Tech Heads. All right. Uh, don't forget the Aussie Tech Radio. Aussie Tech Radio.com tells you how to listen in and tune in and you use the Tune In Radio app. Also, don't forget the show webpage is at AussieTechHeads.com.au forward slash podcast. And on Twitter, it's uh, at Aussie Tech News. Follow that for a couple of news stories every half an hour or every hour, only the important ones. Uh, at Aussie Tech Heads, at Glenn Goodman, at Warlock. All right. Speaking of Warlock, let's uh, say good day to him, eh? How you doing, Jace? Hi, everybody. Oh, what's happening with you? You're all chirpy? I've got the uh, mining spaceship Red Dwarf behind me. Oh, that's looking pretty good. you got that green screen down pat now, haven't you? That's great. I have, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's not much, um, yeah, not much blur or anything going on. That's good. Things crossed, yeah. I've got a um, lamp just here above the monitor shining a bright light to try and, you know, right. even it out a bit. Is that what they call a key light? Sure, if you want to. <laughs> oh, I'll just make myself also, sound a bit technical, you know. Oh, Bedrooms to Billions. What's Bedrooms to Billions? Sounds like a book. It was a uh, Kickstarter that I supported a couple of years ago, which was uh, interviews and information from original developers of uh, Commodore 64 and Atari and Amiga, IBM games and stuff like that from right. the 80s where people would design a game like Monty Mole in their uh, bedroom <laughs> and then they sold it through publishers and made millions or billions. Right. Excellent. Yeah, it's well. Very interesting interviews with musicians, graphic artists, developers, all that sort of stuff from back in the 80s. Now, what is it? So so what is it now? Is it uh, So just for those who are on the audio, Jace has got a T-shirt with, a, with this logo on it, Bedroom to Billions, so that's what we're talking about. Uh, so what is it, a website or something? Can you say, Where do you go to see these interviews? Or what, what? Uh, there's, a, there's a video that uh, I supported the production of. Oh, through I see. Right. And you should be able to go. I think they've got bedroomtobillions.com, and um, you should be able to go there and probably watch the video. They might have released it now for anyone to watch, or you might be able to pay five bucks or something to watch it. Right. Well, let's see. I'm just uh, loading here. Here we go. Oh, what's yep. this? From bedrooms to Billions. Okay, let's click on here. They also, yeah, they've got the Amiga years just coming out as well. Watch the trailer. Oh, you can watch that later. Uh, from Bedrooms to Billions is a 150-minute feature-length documentary movie telling the remarkable true story of the British video game industry from 1979 to the present day. 
And so you supported this with your like little $20 or something like that. And they give you a t-shirt. Yeah, got a t-shirt and I think I got a um, poster as well. I really wanted to get a Commodore 64 that was signed by some of the developers and musicians, but I just couldn't pull the trigger <laughs> that much. But I know. It looks like you can buy this video for $16 US, two hours plus of video, instant streaming yours forever and you can watch it. So. Oh, look, there's a, there's a standard edition and a special edition. Yeah, with extras and stuff. Oh, the standard Blu-ray edition, special edition Blu-ray. Buy the soundtrack. Oh, well, yep. there you go. Bedroom to billions. That might be interesting. Uh, what did you say? It was about $16. US, yeah. So music written by Rob Hubbard, who was everybody who knows about Commodore 64, Amiga, and um, Spectrum. Yeah. And uh, I think some Atari music, he would have done all of those at Amstrad, yeah. That's not like someone called... What, his middle name is not something to start with an L, is it? No. <laughs> not Elrond Hubbard, no. but Rob Hubbard. <laughs> right, Much good. more famous and more important than Elrond Hubbard, who made a fake religion to get away from paying tax. Yes. Okay. <laughs> now, um, that's excellent, Jase. Good work. It's good to see yeah. you uh, supporting the startups and, and so forth. And So did, did you end up getting a copy of the movie for free? Sorry, I, don't, I can't remember if you talked about I that. I got it for uh, supporting the Kickstarter, yeah. Yeah, right. digital download. Ah, nice, nice. DRM, was it? Um, I don't think it was, actually, no. Oh, good. We can put up on the web page then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just joking. That'd oh. get it, Mel. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't All right. Uh, look, what have we got going on here this week? We've got a couple of stories, as usual. Pretty slow. Bit of a, a week this week. Not much going on. A lot of uh, just rubbish, industry sort of rubbish that no one's really interested in you know like i don't know telstra sacking six thousand staff and and just stuff like that which is not interesting but i'm sure we'll find something in the nab did the same thing yeah possibly possibly everyone's uh going a bit crazy but look i got a email through the week from a a site called duolingo.com now the let me get this up so i can show you what duolingo is because you know sometimes you get these emails and you think oh this is just rubbish you know because because it was must it appeared in our show notes quite some time ago and every now and then you get these emails people must just you know do a google uh uh, alert or whatever for their name or whatever and yep. so anyway they uh it comes comes up and it comes to me they see it's been in our show notes they send me an email hi you you mentioned us uh in the show notes here's a proper link you know or something like that oh, so yeah. they want you to put yeah the- i downloaded their app and was using it when i was in sydney learn a few japanese words thing oh so you've heard very about it i've never heard about it yeah duolingo is very popular for learning most languages yeah and the best part is it's free i've found out yeah yeah, so look, it's uh, Duolingo. Yeah, so it's D U O Lingo, L I N G O, Duo, as in two, Duolingo.com. So yeah, and uh, you can just download a down, download it, and it'll you can learn the language. Uh, what sort of languages? Spanish, French, German, Italian, Portuguese, Dutch, Irish, Danish. Hey, <laughs> sweet. What does it mean by Irish? How different can they be? Oh, a high. Valarian. No, I don't know what language that is. Swahili, Polish, Romanian, Japanese, Greek, Esperanto, Turkish, Vietnamese, Norwegian, Ukrainian, Hungarian, Welsh, Czech. What about Strine? Can you learn Strine? Nah, Strine. Strine. Nah, that's uh, that's too difficult to be interpreted. (laughs) 
Yeah, so anyway, so this looks good. And now the best thing is it's free and it makes you learn. And apparently it makes you learn quicker than going to a uni or something that was going on about in the video. And uh, it, it by getting you to do games and so forth. So there you go. That's that's what it's about. I think, see how we do it, see how we do it. No, no, we spent too much time on that. That's, that's that one. Okay, now the other one that uh, we had a Facebook uh, message from was from Matt and he's uh, sent us a Facebook message from on the Gizmodo site about MSY. Now last week you would remember that we spoke about MSY going well not to jail but getting done by the ACCC for misleading uh, us punters in the way that we can return the goods to them if faulty and, and Jace had a first hand experience in that. Yep. Which was a bit crazy. You still can't believe, you know, that that happened. But, I mean, uh, yeah, that's, that's why they're in trouble. But anyway, look, I've, uh, Matt sent us the post, and I'll show you the picture if you're on the video. Uh, msy.com.au. Uh, not a, the best-looking site at the best of times, but now it's got a big Federal Court of Australia notice plastered all over it at the top. <laughs> <laughs> So you got to be happy about that. They've got to hate. They've got to hate that so much. Have to put that there. I know. I know. So look, it's a big right under the logo, right above the the. When fold. do I get me forty bucks back? That's all I'm interested in, Glenn. Yeah, well, that's right. Well, maybe, uh, maybe, Jay, you could just sit back and get forty dollars worth of laughs and satisfaction. Yeah. Because uh, that's all you're going to get anyway. Do it for the lols. That's right. But yeah, look, the big notice up here, notice ordered by the Federal Court of Australia, false, misleading and deceptive conduct by MSY Technology following legal action by the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission. The Federal Court of Australia declared that MSY Technology and went through all the names of their groups uh, engaged in conduct that contravened the Australian Consumer Law. The court found that MSY Technology and MSY Group made, in bold, false, misleading and deceptive representations great advertisement uh, on their website msy technology made false misleading and deceptive representations in store and by email communication to certain consumers who purchase faulty computer products from msy now this little box that they've put up here right at the top of the uh, website it's actually scrolls and it just keeps going <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> it just keeps going and going to the point where it says as part of the orders the court has required msy to pay pecuniary penalties in the amount of seven hundred fifty thousand. not publish or cause to be published any website it operates and not make consumers in store there blah 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 they have got smashed See, if you had to not charge me my 40 bucks, you wouldn't have to be spending $750,000 now. You, you wouldn't have made that complaint, would you? No. no. <laughs> the, the one that started it all. Snap. Yes. Yep. Put you in a trap. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, but, yeah, so uh, I think, look, Will uh, chimed in on that message uh, from the Facebook. And, yeah, he said that it's not going to affect his... He stay in the house. He'll still use MSY, but uh, if he has to rely on something, he won't use MSY. Yeah. So I guess we'll. That's where you bought your computer from. So, because <laughs> how is that? Do you? How is Will? I think you speak to him probably more than I do. Is is his? How's his computer systems going? I think it's a bit more stable now. It was mostly Java that he was having problems with, and it wasn't just. With Minecraft, it was anything that required Java. And then a couple other my friends said they had exactly the same kind of problem. They were Minecrafters as well, but it wasn't Minecraft that was causing the Java to crash. It was the Java on their computers somehow seemed buggy just for them. Yeah, okay. Like, well, to tell you the truth, like I have uh, think I've formatted this machine now twice in about 
two years or whatever since I've had it. And it just runs. It just goes. I don't have any issues at all. Yeah, uh, I must have had mine three or four years and I've never wiped it since I got it. Yeah. Like, I, my, I've wiped it once and it was probably maybe six months ago or something because it started to get a bit funky. Uh, yep. And so, yeah, I just, I'll just spend the time and do it and it's, it's come back. It's great. It's, you know, I've got, uh, I think I've, I've got Bitdefender on it. Uh, a yep. paid version of Bitdefender. I've got a paid version of Malware Bytes. Uh, sometimes you do navigate to dodgy sites. Uh, Malware Bytes will grab the real bad stuff and won't let you go there. Uh, yep. But I don't get any dramas. I'm just no dramas at all. That's sweet. Happy days. Um, all right. So let's go on to, let's have a chat about 5G. Now, 5G now. I know. It just keeps going and going and going. 4G, which uh, was sort of released or sort of came into being in around about 2008. And 5G is expected to be released, say, into the wild in about 2020. Uh, so the 5G, Telstra and Ericsson complete the first of a series of 5G network trials. Now, Telstra has completed the first of these trials uh, of the 5G data trial calls over the 26 gigahertz or millimeter wave spectrum uh, in what they claim to be a world first. Well, it's crazy because down at the last paragraph of this story, it lists the other two companies that are doing millimeter 5G. So I don't know how they work that out. But anyway, Telstra Group Managing Director of Networks, Mike Wright, said, 5G will mean that we can use more and different spectrum bands in order to deliver fast speeds, more capacity, lower latency to our customers. So that's pretty good. That's what we want. He uh, also added that Telstra will be establishing a dedicated 5G centre on the Gold Coast. Not that I probably won't get a chance to uh, do anything there since I just got rid of just about everything Telstra just last month. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm out. Uh, smaller telcos such as the Brisbane-based Link One and Melbourne-based 5G networks are currently offering millimetre wave technology for enterprise customers claiming speeds of up to 10 gigabits per second. So that's not too bad. That's good. Uh, 5G, by the look of it, is good for texting. It's good for internet access. And it's good for smart home and ultra HD and 3D video. None of these mention gaming. It would be too much lag and ping time to run gaming over any of these, really. Not well, yeah, well, that's what... But he's saying that a lower latency. But uh, I guess that's only within, say, the, the the Australian network, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. Because yeah. like, with anything, you go... Even when you do a speed test, right? You Like on my Telstra cable which i've still got i can do a speed test to brisbane uh from the gold coast and i can get like 115 down so you know my the the, the speed capabilities are there but as soon as yeah. you go even to say uh, california to la or somewhere then the the speed just reduces down to like 16 or something yeah like it's much latency yeah and the latency just goes up as well uh one thing i noticed when i was surfing the internet in the u.s when i was there was yeah things just load fast they just there's no there's no uh, latency at all. It's really really fast. But uh, but yeah, so there you go. So if, since 1991, when we were blessed with 2G, this is where we are now. We're at 5G. So yeah, good stuff. Uh, any comments on that, Jay? So that's just. I wonder what sort of quotas they'll have for what sort of prices. Well, yeah, this is the thing, isn't it? Like, 
the faster you go, the more you consume, isn't it? And just how fast is enough, really? Mm. <laughs> if 4G is fine for you, you don't need 5G. You don't need to get the latest iPhone or Android device or what have you. If 4G is as fast as you're happy with. Mm. Well, yeah, well, that's right. I was talking to a, a mate of mine today, Chris, who listens to the show. Hi, Chris. He was uh, telling me, he was, we were talking, you know, because he's still on the ADSL and I think he's broadband NBN's coming March. Yep. Uh, but he's getting fibre to the node. And so, you know, he was exploring other technologies and so forth. And he, he, he got talking to some guy from some company. And they got, he goes, and he started going about, oh, yeah, I'll, if the NBN wasn't coming soon, I'd probably have to do like bonding ADSL or something like that. Yep. Where uh, bonding your ADSL means you're just two ADSL connections into the house uh, and they sort of join together somehow, give you double the yep. speeds apparently or you know, better speed. Uh, and he said, but, and apparently uh, the, the moral of the story was you can bond NBN. So, oh, okay. yeah, 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 they've got several incoming connections for data and for voice. There's usually two voice and two data incoming. Yeah, so because and he was saying like potentially, say if you if the plans were a hundred down, forty up, well potentially you're two hundred down and and eighty up. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So look out for bonding. And the other thing we were talking about was also because he you know he was fibre to the node, and we all know that the problems with fibre to the node and then to the to the home was through the copper, and everyone that was changing over just having big big meltdowns and nightmares. But apparently there's this, uh, the option, I know Optus has got it, and it's called Fibre On Demand. And you pay a bit of money, probably a fair bit of money, but you can then get pulled a fibre from the node to your home. So yep. I don't, don't know too much more details about that, but apparently that can be done. But, um, It'll yeah. be like 15 grand or something. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's cheap. <laughs> yes, that's right. I don't think it's cheap. But uh, yeah, so... No, no. I think ADSL should be easy enough for most properties, depending on how Telstra has set up your connection. Because usually there's four copper wires come to your house, but two yep. of them are unused for when you had your phone system set up. So you could have two on one ADSL, two on another. But um, a lot of the times, you would have Telstra would take four to your curb, give two to you, and two to your next door neighbour, which is why you had problems with rim connections and stuff with mm. ADSL in the first place because it's to, to save money and time rather than and materials rather than giving you all four like you're supposed to sometimes they just oh let's just he only has a phone so we'll just give him two we'll give the next door neighbor two mm. there's half our work done that's right I, I remember those painful days when you if you lived and your telephone line went through a rim you could only get adsl one um, oh I, I had that when i was in west of brisbane at um Red Bank Plains. Oh, that's terrible painful. there. And mm. it was just, they just, they just couldn't give me any kind of ADSL there. So I ended up getting a 3G USB, which would work on incredibly slow connection, <laughs> but it was the only kind of internet I could get besides dial up. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, look, we've been through some tough times, haven't we, JC? All these kids today, you know, with all their kids cables. Today, they don't know how easy they got it. <laughs> That's right, they're 4G, 5Gs, you know. I went, well, when did I first, I first got cable. Back, what, nine, uh, maybe 2,000? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I think my data limit was 12 gig. I think my upload was 128K. 28.8K modem speed was good enough for us back in our day. <laughs> oh, that's going before then. That's right. I, my what first, was the best speed you started with? Well, my first modem was 1991, something yeah. like that, and that would have been a 1,200. 
1200 yeah. wow my yeah. first was 28.8 so it was, <laughs> must have been later than you yeah, well i had i had my, my uh, 1200 hooked up it was an external and it was hooked up to an atari st oh and, wow uh, yeah it could only really get onto like bulletin boards and stuff wasn't much to do uh, and then I think when I went to my IBM compatible, as they used to be known, didn't they? IBM compatibles. Yep. Uh, then I went to an internal 2400. Uh-huh. And, and I remember trying to download something off a bulletin board and it was something like 80K or something. And we sat it and left the house for three hours <laughs> <laughs> and come back and, oh, yeah, good. It's downloaded. I was I was looking around some bookshops and found a book that was like something like the etiquette of the internet and explained a lot of the terminology and stuff and how you behave and what services were available like FTP and Archie and Veronica services and mm. things like this and um, IRC and it came with a um, coupon at the back, back <laughs> of it that you could cut out and you send it in and you got, I think it was like $10 off a 28.8K modem and wow. uh, membership to Aussie Mail. Oh, Aussie Mail. Yeah, I remember that too. You remember Aussie Mail? Yes, I do. Well, to give you an idea of the prices of things, I'll, look, we'll move on after I'll tell you this because <laughs> we're, getting, we're getting way late. But uh, look, I remember buying a 14.4 modem and yep. it was external and I, that cost me seven ninety nine, dollars ah. 7 Yep. Yeah, back then today. That's right. But it was. Yeah, mine was external 28.8 modem. Mm. It was like Hayes compatible or something. I used to get onto that G Nutella. Software. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> used to get a lot of stuff off there. That's when the internet started getting good. All yep. right, um, what have, what have you find this week that uh, pricked your interest? Uh, I think mostly Mickey Malone, who used to own IINet before he sold it and it got bogged by TPG as annoying people, whether it's customers or ISPs. But Australian internet service providers that complain about the fee they have to pay per megabyte for access to the national broadband <laughs> network don't care about consumers or quality of service, according to NBN Co. Non-executive director Michael Malone. <laughs> non-executive. Non, non-executive director. The founder of ISPIINet, which was acquired by TPG in 2015, said in an exclusive interview that providers were not provisioning enough internet traffic for users to have an enjoyable internet experience and were to blame for the slow speeds across the nation. The reason the telcos are moaning is that they are price fighting, he said. They don't give a beep about the quality of service. Malone said that the media needed to be careful about who they speak to in the industry when it came to the ISP sector complaining about effectively being taxed for internet traffic. ISPs must pay to NBN what telcos call a usage tax for CVC or connectivity virtual circuit. Telcos claim the charge, which varies between $8 and $17.50 per megabit, is too high. It's just too Too high. (laughs) And is a disincentive to take up faster speeds. In reality, the charge turns out to be about the same as what telcos were paying pre-NBN to Telstra and other wholesale providers, according to Malone. Once you factor in things like hauling international bandwidth to Australian domestic interconnect fees. In a statement, NBN Chief Corporate Affairs Officer Karina Keisler said of Malone's previous comments, NBN is working hard to improve the end user experience with the full support of the board. Michael Malone is an independent non-executive <laughs> board member. His comments are not an official opinion of the company. His experience That's why he's non-executive. Yeah. <laughs> His experience entitles him to his own opinion. 
Malone pointed to Telstra and Aussie Broadband as being among the service providers provisioning adequate bandwidth, but made clear he was not endorsing them. While Malone said he hadn't personally seen any proposal to dump the CVC usage fee for consumer plans, as reported exclusively last week, there were NBN wholesale business plans that existed which did not have a CVC applied at certain speed tiers. What consumers really wanted at the end of the day was internet that just works and they didn't have to worry about. But what's happening is consumers are assuming that if they go with a certain retail service provider, they'll get the same quality than if they went to another one and pay $5 more. They are possibly not asking the right questions of ISPs or making the wrong choices. Yes, I think there is a few questions that need to be asked, and I think I'll, I'm not sure how it's all going to work for me when I'm on the HFC, but uh, I'm going to have to start asking some questions because I looked up some, because uh, I'm due now, it's been brought forward to January, March. Oh, yeah. yeah, so you yeah, can't wait. Uh, and I looked up a local one, and they got a couple of plans, and they're one of their biggest plans, still cheaper than the Telstra plan. Uh, they've got they've got personal and business, and so I looked a bit, and you know the same speeds, and I just thought, well, maybe the business is more, you know, more uh, stable, yeah, with the yeah. speeds. But apparently, it's pretty much just with a business plan, you get a fixed IP. That's, wow, yeah. <laughs> Woo! What do you do? Yeah, but look, if you DNS dot com and set up a service there, and it doesn't matter if you're static or not because yeah. it's the right place, so. That's right. But if you want to have a look at a non-executive director, there's one there. (laughs) (laughs) It's Michael Malone. So uh, he's allowed to have his own opinions being non-executive. Oh, Mickey, you're not fine. You're not fine at all. (laughs) You go away and talk CVC. All right. Um, Now, look, Audi, if you're into 3D printing, as we know our guest from the other week, Steve, was into uh, 3D printing, you you can jump into it not for $4.99 but for $2.99. How do you like those apples? Yeah, one of my friends was posting this on Facebook and another friend of his is like, oh, 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 I want to get it. I want to get it. Is this a good one? Should I get it? What's going on? Hello, can I get it? Well, it's $2.99, so good might be the uh, the operative word there in making a well, decision. Well, Steve's one was 194 Oh, okay. Well, yeah, well, there you go. Uh, so this one's from Aldi, and it's on sale right now. From, uh, from November the 1st. So, you know, those Audi specials, they're only on for a week, so jump in. And so, you have to buy it the day before they advertise it. So if it says it's coming out on Wednesday, go in Tuesday night when they put it on the shelves and buy it because it's not going to be there Wednesday because the people who know how Aldi work oh, buy it Tuesday night. I didn't know how Aldi worked. Yes, you have to know that because my dad saw it doesn't go to Aldi anymore because of this because he <laughs> saw a special was coming out Wednesday, so he got there... Uh, about 15 minutes before the store opened. So he was first in line, went in, and then he's like, where are the bloody blah whatever he wanted? And they're like, we sold them out last night. He's like, but it says your sale starts today. And he's like, well, if you know Aldi, we put our stock out the night before, and if there's anyone in the shop, they'll buy it the night before. So people know, go the night before, don't go the day of the sale because it won't be there anymore. Oh, well. <laughs> like, that's it. And, and I have to... I have to bring my own plastic bags and pack my own stuff. I'll, I'll just keep going back to my usual supermarkets. Thank you, Aldi. Never again. <laughs> so your dad's pretty stubborn then. Yeah. <laughs> bites his nose he off gave the him a chance his face. And like, <laughs> I just wanted to get this item and it was on sale Wednesday. So I went there Wednesday and they sold out Tuesday. Oh, and has never forgot, carries a grudge, your old man. <laughs> yep, yep, that's it. That's They've the way. They've it now. Yep, that's the way. They're not going to get his 100 bucks a week. <laughs> no. The company, oh. that's it. The company's going to fail now. It's just going to crash. You He's go, going to get 100 bucks for his groceries. You go, oh, Dad, I'm going to Audi. He goes, where? Audi. What? They're dead to me. 
They're yeah, dead to yeah. me. Never heard of them. <laughs> They're dead. Wait, <laughs> wait till Lidl gets out here and then they'll have some competition, right? Which one? Lidl. Never heard of them. Are they someone else coming, are they? Yep, L-I-D-L. Okay, nice. Where are it's they from? Kind of Aldi type one as well. I think it's also from Germany or something. Yeah. Japan. Uh, okay, yeah. So this uh, 3D printer is re- is a rebadged Wana Hayo. One track. Yes. <laughs> uh, duplicate a 13 mini, if you want to know. The 3D printer is small is a smaller model with an all-metal body with dimensions of about uh, 325 by 240 by 380 and weighing 7K. That's kilograms. It has a built it is a build volume of 120 by 135 by 100 millimeter using a fused filament fabrication print technology and supports a polyactic acid, PLA, and wood as filament materials. So last year, Gartner predicted, so Gartner is that research firm that we all know and love, Gartner predicted 3D printing sales would increase by 100% in 2016 to 455-odd thousand shipments worldwide. Particularly if they listened to Steve going on last time and then... Mm. Like, oh, I really want it after all the stuff he was saying. This sounds awesome. I know, and all the plans are just all there, aren't they? Yeah, one, just... of my, one of my friend's other friends that I don't know said that he prefers, apparently there's um, printers that can print using a type of plastic sand. Oh. They're a lot better than the ones that have the plastic string that comes through less likely the clog, and they have yeah, nice. better looking um, printing Less less jagged edges or something. Oh, okay. Yep, right. Because I know you can get them. I've seen them. I think we've spoke about them. Ones that build with chocolate. They push, yeah. They push There's chocolate a pancake through. one now too. Oh, that's right. I've seen that one as well. Yeah. Uh, the filaments, which will be sold at Audi as well, they are about $35 a spool. So uh, go and get it. It's on sale right now as we speak. Uh, yeah. This news item has not been sponsored by Aldi. Never. We know how Aldi works though. <laughs> All right. Tip of the week. <laughs> That's it. The Aussie Techheads Tip of the Week. Audi special start Tuesday night. All right. Uh, where, where, where do you want to go now, Jace? Computer hardware company Razer, we've heard of them, has yes. unveiled its first smartphone. While the design doesn't appear to be up to par with the competition, it does pack some impressive specifications under the hood. The Razer phone features a 5.7-inch 2560 by 1440 resolution display, Snapdragon 835 chipset with 8 gig of RAM, 12 megapixel dual camera with wide angle lens and two times optical zoom, 4000 mAh battery, dual front facing stereo speakers and Android 7.11 Nougat running out of the box. Mm. While there is a micro SD card slot for expandable storage, there is no headphone jack, no waterproofing and no wireless charging. The device also won't support CDMA networks like Verizon or Sprint, where most new flagship phones are shiny rounded rectangles with curved screens. The Razer phone is unabashedly a big black brick. It flaunts sharp 90-degree corners instead of curved edges. You can even stand the phone on the end. The 5.1-inch 2560 by 1440 resolution screen is flat as a pancake, and you'll find giant bezels above and below the screen too, just when we thought bezels were going out of style. <laughs> when the Razer phone ships November 17 for 699 US or 699 pounds, no plans for Australia at launch. The company says it'll be the first phone with a display that refreshes 120 times a second, like a high-end PC gaming computer monitor 
or Apple's iPad Pro mm. and combined with dynamic refresh technique raises calling ultra motion think nvidia g-sync it can mean beautiful butter smooth scrolling down websites and apps and glossy oh, mobile gameplay butter smooth so if you don't care about it looking super cool you care about speed and no lagging in the user interface then this is probably the one for you now should we mention the iphone 10 i don't know nothing about it i've gone off apple <laughs> just, just quietly don't send me an email uh, but yeah, I've got the, I don't know, I just haven't taken the interest in it. Uh, so, look, if you want to know more about the Apple iPhone ten, which I think was, was it released this, or launched this week? Yeah. Yeah. Because yes. a lot of people won't get it till next week or the week after or even after that. Oh, okay. Good stuff. Uh, so, yeah, listen to, go and listen to the Aussie Mac Zone. Uh, Michael is across everything Apple. Michael and Garth, they know everything. And what Garth doesn't know, Michael knows, and vice versa. But like, you the... have a bit of an Apple story if you wanted one. Okay, yeah, we'll chuck it in while we're, we're talking about yeah. them. Apple locked in with an intensifying legal fight with Qualcomm. Oh, legal yeah. fight intensifies. Is <laughs> designing iPhones and iPads for next year that will jettison the chip maker's components. Apple is considering building the devices only with modem chips from Intel and possibly MediaTek because San Diego, California-based Qualcomm has withheld software critical to testing its chips in iPhone and iPad prototypes. Apple's planned move for the next year involves modem chips that handle communication between wireless devices and cellular networks. Qualcomm is by far the biggest supplier of such chips for the current wireless standard. The Apple plans indicate the battle with Qualcomm could spill beyond the courtroom feud over patents into another important Qualcomm business where it has the potential to send ripples through the smartphone chain supply. Oh, dear. Well, it wouldn't be the first time, would it? Nope. No, but, uh, yeah, look, I don't know. I'm happy with my success just to get back to my problems. Uh <laughs> yeah, well, I think, I think this in the last week that Steve Wozniak had said that he's got the 7, I think, which is just as the same as the 6S, according to him, and just as good mm. as the 8 or the 10, so he's not really caring about upgrading to the 10 either. No, I, I know. Look, I remember, you know, you, we, you know, you talked to Will or maybe even yourself and other people about why they liked the Android, and it was about because of the, the yeah, the, the little things that were different and, say, more advanced. Yeah, that's right, and I think now, I think, personally, I think Apple's just hit, hit, hitting a wall. Uh, there's nothing else coming out. You know, there's nothing new. There's nothing really that innovative, is there, that, that I can see. I know I, I could be probably proven wrong, but uh, but not that I can see anyway. Not that for the features that I use day to day. So, you know, might be another, you know, 10 megapixels in the camera takes it up to 150 megapixels. But yeah. you know. <laughs> hey, How many pixels do you need anyway? I know. I, know. I mean, even Apple had said in previous ones they brought out a next generation phone that had less less megapixels than the one before because they used new technology in the software and hardware to uh, produce better quality lower resolution images that would mm. print out higher uh, print sizes just as well as if you had to put a much higher they you know nokia went with a 40 megapixel phone they were the first one to do that and nobody else has really cared to go that high because it just doesn't matter anymore no well that's right like wh who prints pictures it's, you know, like, yeah, sure, if you're going to put a, a picture up on a billboard, well, I think you're going to probably hire a professional. And, yeah. and you wouldn't hire someone that comes out to do, you know, like a big $20,000 advertising. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, hang on. I'll get that for you. Click. 
There you go. That's it. Yeah, so... That'll uh, be a thousand bucks, thanks. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Any more pictures you want me to take while I'm here? <laughs> um, now, look, NASA has released some eerie playlist of spellbinding <laughs> space sounds. Now, uh, this was, this is a list... Oh, where can did I... they release it in time for Halloween? They did. They did. I think that was the whole sort of gist behind the behind the release. But let me see if I can pull this up here and I'll give you a, a taste of some of those sounds. I'll give you a bit of a background uh, idea first. Soaring to the depths of the universe. Uh, oh, can you hear that? That's one of them. Beautiful. Come and get you. That's a, that's a bit harsh, that one. I hope that wasn't too loud for you. Ooh, hang on, I've got to turn uh, that down. Anyway, <laughs> look, I'm not sure how loud that's coming out in you, your guys' ears, so I'll stop that there. But as you can see, it's uh, just things like that, some crazy sounds and some very repetitive patterns, which makes you think, is this just random or what's going on out there? But soaring to the depths, and I like how they call it our universe. Is it our universe? It's a big universe. Soaring to the depths of our universe, gallant spacecraft roam the cosmos, snapping images of celestial wonders. Oh, what great writing. Some spacecraft have instruments capable of capturing radio emissions. When scientists convert these to sound waves, the results are very eerie. Now, these are sounds. You can listen to them. Go to the... Uh, podcast show notes and you can find them at aussietechheads.com.au forward slash podcast look for the show notes for episode whatever we are 557 and you will find the link uh, it's on the SoundCloud I'll, I'll say the link if you can remember this in your head because I know you little tech heads you've got good memories it is at soundcloud.com slash NASA slash sets slash spooky space sounds we already know from YouTube videos that the lizard people have infiltrated our government and controlling them already. So we already got the aliens here, Glenn. Well, this is true. Look at all these dual citizens. Right. And may I say that Aussie tech head, you will, never, you will not find a dual citizen on this no. show. Well, I Even asked. if my mum was Kiwi. Ooh. Jason might not be here next week. Sorry, I'm... <laughs> I'm not qualified for this right. job position anymore. No. The amount of money that I'm being paid. Yes, you might have to uh, let yourself go. We'll refer you to... You, you've seen me in profile. I really let myself go like 20 <laughs> years ago. So. Well, well the big things. you know, I'm going to have to refer you to the High Court of Franco. And, <laughs> and we'll, we'll await his eminence decision on whether or not you can come on next that week. could be a few weeks you'll <laughs> yes. make time for this decision of high importance <laughs> now uh Woolworths will I did this today I got an email from Woolies and they, they wanted me to put the you know the rewards card that you get the, yep. do they call it everyday rewards but anyway their rewards card you can put on your iPhone in your iPhone wallet now oh nice yeah so you can just go up to the cashier at the shop when you're buying stuff and instead of fumbling through your wallet to get your card out you can just do it through your iphone wallet i tried that before because i did have apps that you could scan the things but the woolies readers wouldn't read the screen so i got annoyed with it and just used my flybys all the time because it always works yeah but but this will work this one because this is actually in the the wallet which Official. is yep. that's right talks the apple pay machines and all that sort of stuff uh, the only thing is, 
uh, you can't use it, say, when you're at the petrol station. You can use uh, it when you buy at Woolies, but you can't use it at the petrol or Big W or Dan Murphy's or Tasmania. You know what I liked about the Woolies card, though? What? Is that you, you, buy, you buy your groceries and you scan your card and then you go to the service station that goes, oh, you bought $150 worth of groceries. This is, you get your four cents a litre discount or whatever. Yeah. But with coals, they're printed out on the wax paper receipt that yes. fades left in the sun and you have to rip off little bits of paper and carry it around in your wallet or your card go, mm. can you scan this barcode for me? I'm like, why don't they put it in the flybys like yeah. the Woolies have done and why do you need to carry around little bits of paper? It's it's the dumbest idea ever. Woolies had nailed that one. Yeah, I don't know why. I, I guess, but even like, you know, people with paper, you think that'd be more open to say, well, not rorting, but maybe more more tickets, more discounts being used than what normally would be. Because if people throw their receipts away, I'm sure there's people out there that just pick them up. Go, oh, that's my four cents for the week off me petrol, yeah. you know. Uh, with a card, it's, it's a bit different. But anyway, but yeah, reading through this, the you can't use the, the, the iPhone wallet rewards thing in Tasmania. And I went, huh? You know, as you do. It only works if you've got one head. Is that it? Yeah, basically. No, Tasmania is presently excluded because it's the only Australian state or territory that doesn't use the Woolworths Woolworths Rewards Loyalty Scheme. So uh, we've found that this is Woolies. We've found our customers in Tasmania prefer the frequent shopper club and therefore maintained that program as the Woolworths Loyalty Program in Tasmania. The whole state just is like, no, nah, we won't go with the rest of Australia. We're not really part of it, even though we sometimes are. Mm. Uh, we don't want to do the same as everybody else. I reckon the it might have been too expensive for the data to go across the Tasman. Yeah, know? it's so a long way to their, go. Their bandwidth was... Not like you could beam it there or anything. No, oh, talking about beam. I had a beam story. That was a good Somebody segue, wasn't it? Somebody did they? No, but talking about Apple Pay, uh, Beam, big three Aussie banks build Apple Pay rival. And guess what they're going to call it? Beam. (laughs) You've heard it all before. Everybody's going to have their own pay system and nobody's, only half the stuff's going to support it. Yeah, I know. It's getting a bit crazy. Have Android Pay, have Apple Pay, forget everything else. But this one looks like they all do hope to standardise things. The Commonwealth Bank, Westpac, National Bank have formed an independently run joint venture to develop a payment app for iOS and Android. Yeah, I bet they had a few joints coming up with that too. (laughs) The Beam app will be compatible across devices and banks nationwide and offer instant payments. Users won't need to be customers of CBA, Westpac or NAB to use the app. The banks are hoping Beam will be an industry-wide solution adopted by retailers and the rest of the financial industry. Beam will be released at some stage later this year, said Scotty. Ah, uh, said the banks. How so, much How much uh, are they going to charge extra fee for that? Well, they... They can't charge the end user, you wouldn't imagine. Uh, they... well, most most transactions have like credit card fee of mm. like two percent or something like that. So they're go- they're not going to provide this service for free. The banks are there only for profit and shareholders. They don't care about customers. So this is obviously going to have to have some sort of fee for use. Yes, yeah. So yeah, but not say not as a 
Not as a, a fee charged by the banks, I wouldn't imagine. They'd, they'd probably just wrap it all up in the merchant fee charged to the businesses, which would then be... Yeah. Passed on to the customers anyway. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but I guess, I don't know. I don't know. ANZ's not in there, if you had to notice. They, they, they've gone with the Apple Pay. Uh, they, they caved, I guess you could say, because everyone was holding out. No one was happy with Apple because they charged too much. Uh, that you know they wanted the full whatever percent, one point three percent. They weren't going to negotiate, and uh, the, 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 all the banks were trying to hold out. They went through courts and everything. I think the banks wanted access to the NFC chips into the Apple phones or whatever it was that 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 technology that passes the data across. Uh, yep. And Apple said no, and the court said, "Yep, it's their stuff, so they don't have to give it to you if they don't want to." So uh, everyone's gone to build their own. So yeah, who knows? We'll see. We'll see that coming out next year. I guess. That, look, at the end of the day, you'd have to think if it's going to be half decent app or half decent system, you've got three of the four big banks. ANZ will probably end up coming on board anyway. So is that enough to standardise something? The big four major banks standardising a payment thing. Yeah, um, just don't go out of the country. No, but you can't go out of the country with a... You'd be able to use Apple Pay and Android Pay, yet, okay. Yeah, okay. Well, maybe. But then maybe, like, it might... Uh, we're just talking about the, the costs and everything, but probably, yeah, it probably would cost you, but then it, then the cost would be offset, be, say, by... I'm not the, worried about cost. I'm worried about support. Will Bank of America card readers in the US support mm. Beam for Australia only? Yeah, who knows? Yeah, that's right. Who who knows? Who knows where that's gonna how that's gonna work? But anyway, uh, what else you got there, Jay? You got a couple left, haven't you? Yep, uh, we mentioned something about this before, but uh, it's uh, come up again. The internet is awash with covert cryptocurrency miners that bog down computers and even smartphones with computationally intensive math problems called by hacked or ethically questionable sites. Hmm. Latest examples come on Monday with the revelation from antivirus provider Trend Micro that at least two Android apps with as many as 50,000 downloads from Google Play were recently caught putting crypto miners inside a hidden browser window. The miners caused phones running the apps to run JavaScript hosted on coinhive.com, a site that harnesses the CPUs of millions of PCs to mine the Monero cryptocurrency. In turn, CoinHive gives participating sites a tiny cut of the relatively small proceeds. Google has since removed the apps, which were known as the Recitamo, Santo, Rosario Free, and Safety Net Wireless app. Last week, researchers from security firm Securi warned that at least 500 websites running the WordPress content management system alone had been hacked to run the CoinHive mining scripts. Securi said that other web platforms, including Magento, Jubla and Drupal are also being hacked in large numbers to run the coin hive programming interface. I think they could probably throw Plesk in there as well because mm. all the old Plesk management systems are getting auto hacked by hackers' scripts too. Oh dear. Yeah, look, it's a, it's a problem. Uh, yeah, I guess. I guess, like, you get, if your website's getting hacked, you're going to soon know about it. Or, if, I mean, if it's uh, getting uh, getting scripts installed to crypto mine, you're going to soon know about it because your your host will send you a message saying, "What are you doing? Using too many resources?" Um, yeah, how do you get rid of infections? Security? That's not a bad place. The, the, most of the resources are your CPU and RAM. 
it'll send a tiny little JavaScript to your phone and then that'll oh. run background on your phone CPU. And then once it's finished all the calculations, it'll send a tiny little connection to the server saying, here's the result. And it'll say, okay, confirmed. Here's the next part to calculate right. and then so, disconnect. Right. So there'll probably only be a couple of K or something like that in the transfers. Yeah, so it's not server-side calculations. It's, uh, yeah, okay, that's tricky. That's good. Mm. I like it. That's good. Because JavaScript runs locally on the computer that's running it, not on the server. Yeah, the yeah, that's good. So you, you, it's not going to affect your website. Yeah, no. that's good. You won't detect. Yeah, very good. Very sneaky, these people, aren't they? Yeah. And uh, how do we make sure we don't get in websites infected? Don't click on links and things and don't go to infected websites, which is incredibly difficult. You need something like your Bitdefender that mm. might already have a list of hacked sites or scripts that knows could be hackable easily. Mm. It is. That's crazy. It's a dangerous world out there, so be careful. Uh, what else have I got? Uh, I've got the Woolworths. I did the Woolworths, didn't I? Now, I've yep. got this uh, thing here. Watson, you know, the Watson IBM computer, some big dude, some big powerful computer somewhere. Uh, yeah, was, she was on Harry Potter, wasn't she? What, Watson? Oh, right. Yes, yeah, she was. <laughs> Hermione. Now, that's right. Now, Suncorp has put a Watson-powered accident liability t- determination system into production uh, that covers Amy, GIO, Apia, Bingle, and Suncorp insurance brands. Now, the system has ingested... So Watson has ingested 15,000 anonymized claim files, which it uses as the basis to determine who is at fault in car accidents. Now, apparently, uh, why they've introduced this system is because when you put a claim in for insurance because you've had a bingle, then a lot of the time is spent, apparently, at the insurance company figuring out who was responsible or whose fault it is. And so they've employed the services of Watson, the IBM computer, to try and determine this for them in a more efficient and quickly, more quickly manner. So, uh, so it was considered a pain point. Is that a word? It's a buzzword. It's a pain point for customers because it delayed the assignment of a repairer, which in turn kept them off the road longer. Now, IBM's what IBM Watson's natural language classifier is used to analyze the text submitted by the claimants. It then makes a determination by applying business rules and recognizing keywords and attaches a confidence level to the decision based on what the system knows of similar decisions that have occurred in the past. And I thought, wow, what else What else does this Watson do? <laughs> and so, look, there, you can go to Watson's website, and he does do a lot, lot more. He, uh, let me grab it up here. Apple is, oh, get rid of Apple designing iPhones, get rid of that page. Uh, yeah, so it looks like Watson is like the like IBM's AI sort of service that looks like you can tap into and use and build uh, build apps or build software for as you wish. Now, you go to ibm.com forward slash Watson uh, and you can do a demo. Now, so if we click on the demo, and this is a pretty basic demo, I know, but it's stuff like you ask it questions, it'll give you an answer. Uh, not in voice, just in text. But I'll see if we can we see this on the video. I don't know if this will come out. Uh, so we'll scroll up a bit. So you can ask it one of, say, one of these questions as an example. Get rid of that box. Now, I'm. Um, you could say, my power just went out. Okay, so we'll click on my power just went out. See what Watson wants to do. So he goes away, he has a think about it. He comes back and he says, I'm sorry to hear that. May I have the address of the account? So you put your address in. 
And so Watson understands the intent and can ask follow-up questions. Thank you. Our expert technicians are aware of the outage and are working hard to restore your power quickly. Watson Ooh. understands hundreds of common customer queries out of the box. So, um, yeah, good. <laughs> Whatever. It's getting there. Uh, little fella. Yeah, tricky little fella. All right, let's uh, go back to you, Jace. Uh, let's see. Imagine you're working on a Google Doc when suddenly, seemingly out of nowhere, your ability to edit the online file gets revoked. What you see instead is an error message indicating that you've violated Google's terms of service. Ooh. For anyone who stores work in the cloud, suddenly being unable to access your data, especially due to a terms of service violation, may sound scary. And it's really happening to some people, according to reports on Twitter. Rachel Bale, a wildlife crime reporter for National Geographic, said Tuesday that a draft of her story was frozen by Google. In response to some of these reports, a Google employee tweeted that the team handling Google Docs was looking into the matter. Later on Tuesday, Google said in a statement that it had made a code push that incorrectly flagged a small percentage of Google Docs as abusive, which caused those documents to be automatically blocked. A fix is in place and all users should have full access to their docs. Although the error appeared to be a technical glitch, the fact that Google is capable of identifying bad Google Docs at all is a reminder of much of what you upload, receive, or type into Google is monitored. While many people may be aware that Gmail scans your emails, for instance, so that Smart Reply feature can figure out what responses to suggest, this policy extends to other Google products. Our automated systems analyze your content to provide you personally relevant product features such as customized search results and spam and malware detection reads the terms of service for Google Drive, the suite of productivity tools for which Google Docs is a part. Google's privacy policy explains how we treat your personal data and protect your privacy when you use Google Drive. Mm. So careful that that's not the only place that you're editing stuff because if it gets locked off, you're not going to get paid this week if you can't submit an article to the company. No, well, that is uh, something you need to think about, isn't it? I think, does Google Drive have an offline feature? Uh, you, can, you can make some documents offline for use, but um, by default, it's not on. Mm. I don't know what you would do there. I guess uh, hopefully these things just don't happen too often. You know? Yeah. So um, I don't know what you would do. But uh, what else, Jase? Oh, you've got a few more stories than me this week. What's happening? Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> Alrighty, let me find another one. Um CEO John Chen of uh, BlackBerry, speaking at a press Q&A during BlackBerry's security summit in London on Tuesday, claimed it wasn't so simple for BlackBerry to crack its own protections. Only when the government gives us a court order will we start tracking it. Then the question is, how good is the encryption? Today's encryption has got to the point where it's rather difficult, even for ourselves to break it, to break our own encryption. It's not an easily breakable thing. We'll only attempt to do that if we have the right court order. The fact that we'll honour the court order doesn't imply we could actually get it done. Oddly, this game coupled with Chen's assertions, its user protections were better than Apple's and its version of the Android operating system more secure than the one offered by competitors. This proactive hacking may offer may be pointed in the direction, may be pointed to in future by DOJ and FBI officials as evidence Apple, etc. aren't doing enough to cooperate with US law enforcement. Of course, Chen's willingness to try doesn't guarantee the company will be able to decrypt communications of certain users. BlackBerry may be opening up to law enforcement, but it won't be sharing anything more with its remaining users. 
from the article, Chen also said there were no plans for a transparency report that would reveal more about the company's work with the government. No one has really asked us for it. We don't really have a policy on whether we'll do it or not. Just like every major technology company that deals with telecoms, we obviously have quite a number of requests around the world. Well, I, d- I doubt whether you'd be getting too many requests. There's probably only five people with a BlackBerry. So he'd, yeah. be, he'd, be, he'd be pretty right, wouldn't he? Like, yeah, I think they, them along with Microsoft were another one of those companies. It's like, what's this silly-looking iPhone thing that's never going to take off? Nobody's going to find any interest in that. Blackberries wear it out. Everybody loves their Blackberry torch and the bold and <laughs> the pearl and what have you, and that's how it's always going to be. We're on top of the world, and there's no competitors. Oh, oh just, where's all our sales gone? Just the name of the, the Blackberry Pearl is... That'd be enough to sort of you'd make you take stock, wouldn't it? Go, hang yep. on a second, hang on, <laughs> hang on. Who, where, this pearl business, we've got to we've got to change direction. Turn the ship around straight away. Yep. <laughs> Who come up with pearl? That's a joke. Uh, um, they had a little um, little rollerball that you could use for a joystick, and you could roll that around the screen to move the cursor up and down through the LCD screen. So that little ball was called the pearl. Oh, no, so it's, it's a, a navigation a, thing. It's the same as the nipple. But yep. uh, Apple nipple. It should have been the BlackBerry nipple. Yeah. The Black- IBM got them little red things in the middle of your keyboard. That oh yes. That? <laughs> I used one of those on my well, one of my first IBM laptops. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I forget what they were called now. Was it something like a stick or something? Yeah. I forget what that little thing was called. It had a name. Uh, but it didn't work too bad. It worked all right. I didn't mind it. I suppose. Um, yeah. If you've got a choice between the touchpad and the joystick nipple, which would you prefer? Oh, the touchpads of today are a lot better. I yep. think the touchpads back then... Uh, Left a lot to be desired. Yeah. yeah. Um, I can't remember now what I was using the most. I think I think I, I think I did use that little nipple, probably because it felt so good a lot. Yep. But, um, <laughs> it made you happy. It did. It made me happy. So <laughs> when I was a teenager or whatever. I don't yep. think they had laptops back then, actually. Uh, all right. Uh, I think that's... Is that about it? That's I think it you've me, yep. got... Did you have one more? I thought I saw one more. Apple is designing iPhones. No, you did that? No, that's it. That's it. Good stuff. Oh, look at this. Right on time. Right on time. Magic. It is magic. All right. Don't forget, if you want to come and join us on the show live and record a show, just email me, glenn at aussietechheads.com.au. All you need is a decent internet connection and a headset. And uh, webcam yes, would help too. And a what? A webcam would help. Oh yeah, and a webcam because we want to see who we're talking to. You know, get get the vibe happening. Well, some people maybe. Send us a picture. Depends on if you yeah. just turn up wearing a singlet. Send, send us a picture in the email. <laughs> <laughs> but no, 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 all jokes aside, just uh, send us an email. And uh, look, if you've got an interest in something, uh, you know, you just come on. If you don't have to come on every week, you just have to come on. People might get sick of just listening to us too waffling. They might do. They might do. But you know, like as I said before, because Jason will, they're sort of a bit uh, tied up with their different uh, with life. I, I guess Hi. at the minute. So um, yeah, Jason but it, will. Uh, will and Elric, yeah. Well, but uh, who, who, who am I? What? Where are we? <laughs> but uh, who are you? And why don't the grandchildren visit anymore? <laughs> But Jason and I, well, obviously we got 
We got no, no life. We got no life. <laughs> That's right. So we're we're free every week. You beauty. Uh, all right, good stuff. Okay, so do all that and go all there. And I think that's it. I'm just scrolling through everything. I think we've we've brought you guys up to date once again. So well done. All right. Uh, and can I just say, I think. No, I'll keep that for next week. I'll get my facts straight first. All right. I've been still having fun doing Fitbit Ionic development. Got three really good watch faces that I'm ready to push out to the store once it's available. It's going to be brilliant. Yeah, and you were telling me just before the show that looks like it, well, they said fall, but now they're denying fall US time, Northern Hemisphere fall. Yeah, not sure. Mm. They haven't had the next beta of the firmware come out for us to test yet, so Mm. might be a way off. But, yeah, no, keep going, Jase. Get them in the store. I'm really enjoying it. I mean, I like working with the small screens. It's easy to do design elements for small screens, but when you're trying to do something for phones that have got now 4K support and things Mm. like this, and it's like there's so much work to do and so much creativity, and in the end it just becomes too big a thing. But when I'm back to something that's 348 by 250 pixels and... I quite enjoyed working on that sort of scale. You know, the first iPhones, the first Androids were low resolution. That was great. Now, those devices are just out of my realm, I think. I remember when I was doing some little uh, basic programming on my Apple IIc when, yep. I, when I had it, uh, it was the graphics weren't good. You know, like they weren't very good. I, I had a, I drew up a grid on a square about that big, it was yep. about 30 centimetre square, and then just drew in the, I think it was about 40 across and 40 down or something, <laughs> and just the little blocks, and you could just plot your coordinates, draw your picture on my little... My, my VZ200 had 128 across by 64 pixels down, but I, I wouldn't say that when I was a teenager, I used to carry around a book of graph paper and design sprites for the Commodore 64 that I never <laughs> made, but it was fun drawing the sprites for games, and it was all in pencil, so it didn't have colours or anything. It was just a lead pencil, but I drew out the shapes for all these games, and I had an idea of doing a sort of Yogi Bear game so i had the bear and pots of honey that you could collect and all this sort of oh, stuff yeah, nice. that i never made oh well so you, you should have spent that 500 and got that commodore 64 from the I could have made billions. <laughs> that's right and you could be now programming again for the yeah. 64 and making no money <laughs> because no one <laughs> else has got one <laughs> Good stuff. All right. Uh, thanks for coming in, Jace. It's been wonderful. No wonderful Good to see day. you again and wonderful to uh, catch up with all your what's taken your interest this week in stories in relation to the tech. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you all next week, hopefully, only on Aussie Tech Eds. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.